Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wild Room Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2, and I am so excited and honored to share this conversation. First though, I have to apologize for my wild inconsistency with the podcast lately. I'm so, so sorry. I've been having loads of unexpected technical difficulties, but I think we are finally on track, hopefully. Thank you for bearing with me, and I'm so sorry to the guests I've already recorded with and anyone who listens. The episodes are coming. I really am so grateful that you've stuck around, and I hope that we can keep this going, moving along swiftly. Um, Cross your fingers for smooth sailing ahead, please. Anyway, this episode was a dream come true. It was such an honor to have the conversation especially after all the births I witnessed this summer that truly rocked me and shook me to the core. Emily Saldea runs the Free Birth Society as well as the Free Birth Society podcast. If you don't listen, you are seriously missing out. Get over there right after this. I became obsessed with Emily's podcast last fall. I binged on all the episodes she had out and have been a faithful weekly listener since. Free birth is birthing outside the medical system. Free birth centers women and the trust in their bodies in birth as a normal physiological process. It flips medical birth on its head. Emily is a radical birth worker and a free birther herself, helping women share their free birth stories and to empower women to birth freely and intuitively, completely outside of the fear-based medical model that most of us are familiar with. This conversation might feel really radical and possibly challenging for people, and I'd love to keep the dialogue open, so please feel free to reach out to me. As always, I love to hear from you and appreciate feedback. Enjoy this episode with Emily. I felt like I was being heard for the first time in ages, and it's given me so much to think about and continue learning, unlearning, and growing. Thank you, Emily, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Please share this episode with your friends and enjoy. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, I am Emily Saldea, and I my business is the Free Birth Society um, company. Um, and I've been a birth worker for 15 or so years. So my kind of newest venture over the last two years is um, really focusing on educating and supporting women to birth outside of the system. And so in a nutshell, basically, I was a doula for a very long time in, in Los Angeles, and I supported all types of births, but they were all really under the umbrella of, of women birthing in captivity, you know, with doctors and with licensed midwives. And I also started and, and ran a nonprofit for many years that provided free doulas uh, to poor women under in underserved communities around Los Angeles. And so all of that being said, I got a really quick education on uh, how violent, you know, birth is in captivity and, mm-hmm. and how the just the inherent violence of obstetrics and um, and that it went across the spectrum of. Uh, underprivileged to very privileged, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really seeing that much less abuse um, in the fancy Beverly Hills hospital, you know, with the rich white woman um, versus, you know, everywhere else that I was. So 
anyway, so basically that took a couple years to wrap my head around because I was very, very young when I started attending births. I was 17, 18. And, um, what made you start doing it so early? Or like what got you into birth in the first place? Because Yeah, it, it really found me. I had dropped out of high school when I was 16 from Florida and moved to LA with my boyfriend. And I just, when I left Florida, I just was very clear that what mattered most and like what the epicenter was of everything was the mother and the baby. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, this is kind of dark, but basically what I remember thinking the night that I withdrew from school was I had been reading this book on the physics of love and, and learning about attachment and all this stuff. And I, and I just stayed up one night thinking, okay, if a boy is raised healthily attached to a strong, powerful mother, he's not going to rape. He's not going to beat women. He just wouldn't like, it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, healthy attached, you know, people breed healthy attached people. And so Anyway, so then I looked up infant massage and just started reading about infant psychology and I realized infant massage was an actual thing. And so I got trained in that when I was 16, when I landed in LA and I started teaching, uh, I started volunteering, showing parents whose babies had either special needs or were in hospice. Um, So very, very, very hard, hard. I mean, the hardest. Yeah, super intense work. Yeah, it's like as it's as heart wrenching really as it probably gets. And so I was teaching those parents how to connect with their babies, how to almost kind of do Reiki though. We didn't call it that. Um, Cause some of these babies were just so shut down and in so much pain. And, um, but all of that is to say, I realized very quickly how easily it was to positively affect a family and that it was profound when you supported a mother Uh, to follow her instincts and to kind of override the medical model that was telling her not to do a lot of this stuff, um, how mom and baby could heal and repair. And it was really, really profound. And so that was, I was 16, 17 doing that. Then I went to India for a long time. And when I came back, some of my friends were pregnant and because I was so young, all my friends were older. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I started attending their births. They invited me to come to their births and, they were epic. They were home births. They were orgasmic births. They were ecstatic births. Uh, they were normal births with very little interruption and intervention. And I thought that that was what it was. Yeah. And then I went to a hospital birth and it was horrific and classic and totally the norm and a bullshit induction for no reason that ended in a very bullyish, uh, C-section with a lot of lies surrounding it. And I left there after watching my friend be completely mutilated Mm -hmm. and treated so horrifically and I I remember walking out of the hospital that morning I'd been there for like two or three days and just being like okay it's on like I have to learn everything about this because what I just saw was so fucked up and yeah I was like 18 yeah so I just dove in I took a training and um just started attending births and, and went to hundreds of births in a couple of years or no, not a couple. It took me like, I don't know, over 10 years, I'd probably been to 300 plus births. And, um, anyway, so all of that really was to lead up to say that, um, it took me a couple of years to really wrap my head around birth being this kind of last 
shadowed section of feminism. And Mm -hmm. I was discovering what feminism meant for me and in my life and um, realizing that birth was this like weirdly not talked about issue that we were still so violently oppressed all across the world, really, um, that it affects every status, every race, every, every, everybody with a vagina. And, um, and then their babies, which of course is everybody, right? Right. Everybody's born. It affects every man, every woman, because everybody's born from, from a, from a, you know, biologically female person. So, um, basically after 10 years of that or so, I had been on the path to midwifery for a long time, but nothing ever felt quite right. And every time I would dabble into a school, I just was like, this isn't right. This isn't right. I was really struggling with the rules and regulations Um, And I, as a doula, was constantly seeing women be um, so let down and so and and literally abandoned by their, you know, midwives after scraping together $5,000 and believing that this woman was going to stand with them and then having a perfectly normal birth that went ultimately against the rules and regs of, you know, California and then transferring to go on and be abused in the system. And I just, it just destroyed me again and again and again. And so finally, I went to the farm thinking I was going to find all these answers there and basically didn't and was like, wow, they're just totally a part of the medical paradigm as well. And so I came back from that and was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm not putting any energy into this paradigm. And I have to credit Marin Green here from Indie Birth because she and I had a, a really pivotal conversation for me where I was complaining to her about my plight and she said you know you have to decide do you want to put energy into a paradigm that is draining you that that you know you look what you've been doing for 10 years like is it working or do you want to put energy into the paradigm that you want to see grow Mm -hmm. and I was like you're totally right and so that's a really important thing I think I I really like that yeah and it's huge because uh, you know, that's easier said than done. And it, what it, what it means is, are you willing to step outside the system, um, that you think you're helping? And that was my big doula wake up call that, that took me many, 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 many years to wrap my head around, which is, and this is a very harsh statement, but it is true for me. I finally realized I was, what I was doing was unethical mm-hmm. and I was accepting money, um, under a lie that I was going to increase agency and mitigate abuse. And it just wasn't true on on a, on a large scale because a doula is powerless truly in a, in a birthing room. And I, and I think it's unethical actually for us to act like we're not Yeah, because, you know, I think it's, it's more powerful to be very honest about what little power we have. Yes, we can ask questions and yes, I've broken sterile fields to stop episiotomies. Yes. I've, Yes, I've done things. I have stopped some abuse, but I've also not stopped a, t- a, a, a horrible amount yeah. that I will always be haunted by. Um, and so, yeah, I realized that I had to really admit to myself that I was a part of the system and I was enabling women to birth in the system, thinking that by hiring me, I was going to somehow make a difference and then the guilt that I would feel after I'd watch these women who I've grown to love with this illusion that I'm going to protect them and then watch them be birth raped in the middle of their, you know, birth, like sleep. Like I, I was at a birth one time where a, 
horrible, horrible, horrible doctor in Los Angeles um, woke her up with a very aggressive vaginal exam. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, and I, God, that one haunted me for a long time because I, I was sleeping on the couch. She was asleep on an epidural. The husband, for I can't remember why, went down to the car to sleep. And I was on the couch asleep. And I didn't catch it. And that killed me. Um, as, as so many horrible stories I don't need to fill your episode with of, of just being like, hold on, why am I feeling responsible for this? Like yeah. it's me against a system. I, I can't do this anymore. This is not where I belong. It's and a really so- hard thing. Um, I've been, I think you said this on, um, the Magamama podcast, you talked about this and ever since then I've been really, really thinking about it. And like, I'm a doula and, um, this is how I make my money and stuff. And it feels so wrong and so weird and draining. And, you know, most of the women I work with are not going to have natural births. Most of them are looking to have a medicated birth. Many of them have had C-sections, especially this summer, which is drastically on the rise. And I have just kind of come to the point where I'm just like watching these things happen. And I just have to like, not agree with it, but just let it happen. And it's crazy and it's wrong. And I don't know like how to fix it. It's well, (laughs) I'd be, and I'd be real careful with that because there's a couple different things happening here. One is let's, you know, we just have to talk about you as the doula and what years of witnessing and accepting money for something you know is wrong um, is, is going to do to your heart, your vitality, your, your moral compass, like your secondary trauma, you know, all of this stuff happens. And what I see in the doula world is most women, because we've made professions out of it, it's like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to just stop doing it? Or are we going to become complacent and think that we're, you know, kind of falling into this, like, well, somebody has to be with them. Mm-hmm. So I guess it'll be me kind of vibe. Yeah. Which and is so fine. problematic. I think. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's whatever. That's not me. I don't relate to that. I could never, um, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of doulas, um, you know, they have to make a decision, you know, because most doulas get into this being like, I love babies. I love birth. And then they're like, holy shit, that's not what's happening at all. And, and so then they have to make a decision. You know, they, most doulas don't stay in the game, right? Most doulas are like, I can't do this. And they bounce. They don't have the support or the um, ability to process the kind of abuse that they're seeing. Not that anybody should have the ability to process that amount of abuse, but um, and then other doulas, I think, really start to disassociate. And I mean, I, I know so many doulas I debrief with who are like, yeah, I basically just leave my body once I see a woman start to be raped or, or abused. I just like check out because I don't know what to do. And so now I'm just watching this and then I just try to help them like feel OK about it on the other side. And I'm like, cool, that makes me want to die. Yeah. Um, we're, like, we're like trauma counselors. It's bad. It's like, but, but we're not, yeah, not know? even and, right. <laughs> and in this whole like idea that the doula is supposed to help the mom, like quote unquote, reframe her birth is disgusting because really where we can affect the most change in my opinion mm-hmm. is, you know, to call out the abuser, to call out the system. And, and, and this is where it gets tricky because yes, women deserve 
to have the gap filled in the system, you know, where they will not be supported. Yes. But the larger issue is why are women birthing in the system that they know they're not going to be supported and therefore are hiring, you know, or getting a doula. Right. Like we have to actually talk about that part. Um, you know, so, so I guess to finish my trajectory of what happened for me is I just decided I can't do it. And I had to put energy as I was preparing to conceive my own baby. I knew I couldn't go for my own selfish reasons that I couldn't like be pregnant and see women be uh, treated horrifically. And I was going to like five to 10 births a month. I mean, I, I was a lot. Yeah. Very, 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 very busy. Um, And even the home births didn't work for me anymore. Cause those were all like, once you, once you like tune into what actual physiological birth is, you can't ignore how everywhere it's not happening, you know, even at home births with the NRP regulations and, you know, the gloved hands and even on, on, you know, Instagram, like all I see when I see a, an assisted birth, I see the gloves, I see the oxygen tank in the back of the room. I see the, um, just intervention and disruption, 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 and inarguably it is harmful. And it is, it is at the very least, it is unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so I decided no more, and I was only going to support women who wanted to have truly wild, physiological, normal, undisturbed births. And I just was vocal about it. And I would, you know, I'd always interview with people regardless of where they were going to birth. And if I felt a connection with them, I would just, you know, be like, you seem like a really good candidate for a normal birth, which is like laughable because everyone's a good candidate for a normal birth. Um yeah. And women started free birthing and I did a handful of those in LA and they just decided not to hire a midwife and just do it on their own with, with me witnessing. And, um, I guess it's not really a free birth if, you know, you have like a hired person with you. So uh, we could just call, I, call it a, the semantics of it seem a little bit tricky. <laughs> well, it's completely subjective. Yeah. Like things. Um, you know, I certainly don't do anything medical, but um, I also don't think we can deny that somebody hiring somebody as an authority, not over her, but in authority, uh, you know, in holding birth knowledge yeah, and, that's true. you know, whatever those things like we know as doulas and birth keepers that our energy affects a space just like anyone entering a birth, you know, it, your energy changes the room inevitably. It just does. Um so, you know, I, when I think of free birth, I think of like family birth. I think of, um, yeah, I think of no one really being there necessarily as an authority. Um, but I think when you hire a doula to be at your quote unquote free birth, not that any of these semantics really matter. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of, yes, it could totally still be a normal physiological undisturbed birth. And that's what matters. I mean, that's what it is. That's, that's, that's what needs to be protected and, and guarded and happening. Yeah. Um, what was, or like, how did you know about free birth? How, what was your exposure like to that? Um, well, I think the Indie Birth podcast was a big push into it for me because before that I, I was working on doing a lot of, uh, unprogramming of my training. Basically when I took Mm -hmm. a dual training at 18, 19, 
the next 10 years was me trying to unlearn everything I learned in my training, to be totally honest. That's what um, I was going to ask you about, actually, <laughs> is like unlearning all of this stuff, because it's a uh-huh. huge thing. I feel like that that's the process I'm in now. And it's definitely so important, but it is vast. <laughs> yeah, I think if you want to be a doula for the system and only go to hospital births and support epidurals and C-sections, like they're totally normal and healthy and um, be submissive to this uh, patriarchal, you know, monopolized system, then totally take a training and, you know, set up your business and be a part of the system, like totally. And if that is something that um, you can live with and feel super good about, okay, that's totally fine. And I found for me, I was really bummed that my training was so about being a part of the system and that they outright, you know, say in doula communities don't support unassisted births. They're dangerous. There's a total lie, you know, that goes through the communities of um, if you support an unassisted birth, you're going to be the most trained there. And so you'll be liable if anything happens, fear, 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 fear. And what is really being said in the doula and midwifery community to my mind is, yeah, yeah, we trust women and we trust birth to a degree. Mm -hmm. But you can't go stand with a woman who's crazy enough to not birth with medical management. That you can't trust. And I call bullshit. That totally. is so critical. And that is so, to, to me, unacceptable. And you do not trust women and you do not trust birth if you're not willing to stand with women who want to have normal, undisturbed birth. That's insanity. Right. Yeah, we don't trust women at all. I think that's the biggest thing that we need to be saying here is like, there is no trust in women. Women don't trust themselves. And to to put like crazy on this, on this choice is crazy. Like it doesn't make any sense to say that it's crazy for you to want to have things go in your own control in your own way, exactly with all of your choices. You know, it's... Well, and, and yes, we don't trust women as a as a global culture but doulas do think they trust women yeah and so do midwives (laughs) right exactly and and in a way you know that might even be more dangerous yeah you know because some people it's very obvious they don't trust women you can see it a mile away like like the government right (laughs) you know I mean there's some very obvious uh places where it's like yeah no you don't trust us like that's been made abundantly clear for a very long time but then we have midwives who are all about this this idea of trusting women in birth and then it's absolutely not true and they're they're quick to jump ship and they're all uh willing to be beholden to um you know the the government mandated rules and regs or the doula culture that says unassisted is bad and um you know and also like doulas are not as important as we think we are like there's not right. laws about doulas there's not a scope of practice like this the scope of practice thing kills me there is no scope of practice that is not a thing for doulas we are not licensed we are not in laws it's not a thing there is a made up scope of practice per certifying bodies but those are all just made up things they're not like you know so you know so many women are like that's out of my scope of practice it's like you're you're not even a real like this is made up (laughs) yeah it's so true I know that people will hate thinking that but it's just like you have to understand that in order to do this work like 
you can't really be doing it in any sort of conscious if you think that it's like a real thing you know I don't know it supporting it's just supporting women that's what it's supposed to be and you don't need to be certified to support women certainly not and and actually you know obviously I would argue (sighs) that you you shouldn't be certified I agree and you shouldn't be licensed because certifications and licensing actually like it while it might make you feel good because oh you're this professional now and so now you're being um you're like climbing the the ladder of you know social you know validation or whatever what what you're also doing is creating a very real barrier between you and another woman and between you and standing with women in the vast um variety of how births are and and how women are and family dynamics and women's choices and you know it just you can't do it You, you can't do both and that's and that's what's so sad about licensing is I feel for, for, for licensed midwives. It's, it's a, it's not a choice I could ever make, but, but I feel for them Mm -hmm. trying to straddle these two worlds and you can't though. That's the thing because you're always going to be betraying somebody. You're either betraying your licensing that you've agreed to follow or you're betraying the woman who uh, has grown to, you know, trust you and to believe that you are going to be there. And for me, it's all or nothing, you know, like I, I would never ethically be able to accept money from a woman, you know, fall in love with her family, share meals with her family, talk about her birth for many months and then ditch her when her waters have been open for 24 hours, you know, or, um, or really for any reason at all, even literally for any reason other than if it was abusive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, what was I going to say? The, the licensing issue is huge. Um, and I don't know how it is in Colorado, but you know, like every state has different qualifications for it. There's like the CNM, CPM, mm-hmm. um, or just traditional midwife. And, um, I had started on a track to do a nurse midwifery program and just immediately realized that it is I'd, like, I might as well be an OB if that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And especially here in New York, like I have, I've seen and worked with a bunch of wonderful midwives who I think truly are respecting women and trusting women. But I have seen equally as many who absolutely mm-hmm. don't, if not, sometimes they're worse than doctors and OBs and treat women with less respect. And recently I had that happen. And I mean, it's not surprising to me anymore, but it's just shocking that we're thinking that we're going to get a better experience birthing in a hospital with a CNM versus birthing in a hospital with an OB. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. They're under the same, they're in the same culture. They're under the same rules and regulations. They're, I mean, I guess I have seen, I have seen some CNM births in hospitals that I do believe were able to be a vaginal birth um, when if a, if an OB had been there, it would have been a C-section. Like I'm thinking of this one woman who uh, literally pushed for seven hours um, wow. with the head right there on her perineum. But of course it was all because of the disruption and there was fear mongering right when she was admitted, she showed up pushing and there was fear mongering and, um, you know, she was on her back the entire time. And 
you know, I mean, come on. That's crazy. You know, it is totally crazy. Um, But she did have a vaginal birth, though still very traumatic in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and she emerged out of that birth being like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky there was a midwife on duty because I got to push for so long. And it's just it's hard to swallow. It's like, yeah, totally. That's true for sure. And you didn't deserve that. And everything about that was fucked up. Yeah, I'm that's a, a thing that I find really interesting is like, women saying these things, I'm so lucky, I'm so grateful that I had this versus the worst thing. But I'm, I'm just not sure that there's much of a difference in what is worse. They're all bad. Like these things are, I, I don't know, I've, I feel like super traumatized by birth lately, the births I've been to. And I've seen some that are like classically traumatic that, that anybody looking at it could be like, oh, that's traumatizing. And then ones where people think that they had a great experience, but they didn't like, um, I had a, sometimes that's worse. It is. I think it's worse sometimes. Um, it's the same. I keep thinking of like, um, kind of like subtle racism, you know, where it's when people like pretend they're not racist, but just really, really are. And it's more secret and embodied. And that's exactly what this is too. I had this woman who, you know, we went to the hospital pushing and I was telling her like, you don't even need to go to the hospital. We can just do this. And we went and the baby is crowning as we're in the elevator. And the midwife told her to get on her back. She was trying to push on all fours. And um, she, this woman started screaming that it felt so wrong to her. And the midwife took her hand and was like wagging her finger at her saying it was her job to facilitate her to have a birth, not for her to look pretty on Instagram. And then she pushed her baby out in 10 minutes and then was saying, like, thank you so much. I couldn't have done it without you. And I was just like, this is deluded. It's insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have tons of those stories, too. And I think we have to remember that we are to be grateful for crumbs. And and that, yeah, (laughs) you know, so like, for example, even the woman I just said, being so grateful that she was allowed a vaginal birth you know, and this narrative leaving her birth was like, oh, well, if you were with a doctor, you would have had a C-section. And while that's true, it was still abusive and traumatic and all these things. But because it could have been a little bit worse, she emerged with a, um, with a feeling of gratitude and that that was, you know, because that's how we're socialized, like focus on the good, Mm -hmm. um, be grateful and also very much to be polite and to validate others and really care about other people's feelings. And, um, I mean the, the one I just told you about the doctor waking her up with a vaginal exam, that was one of the most abusive births I've ever been to for 50 different reasons. And when we debriefed later, she said that she was so grateful to him because she realizes that she needed an enemy to work against in order to have her birth. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but that is so weird and sad and just so not true. But again, in a culture that does not understand and has no reverence for a euphoric, ecstatic, gorgeous birth and what that can be when women have no idea and we've normalized, um, violence and abuse you know not just in birth but but sexually Mm -hmm. you know and in the porn you know industry and I mean just just everywhere there's no um real 
grasp of what it can be, which is why the free birth movement is so significant, because women are emerging from these births after traumatic previous births or the craziest. What One of the things I love the most is that women, some women that I've, I've supported either virtually or, or in person that think that their first or second births were great. And then they have a free birth yeah. and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea how bad my birth was. And, and that's not easy to sit with. And there's a real grieving and there's a real courage there to be willing to sit with the feelings. Once you know what's available to sit with those feelings of your first birth or second, you know, I have women on the podcast who are like, it's really hard to look at photos of my first birth because she was robbed and I didn't know she was robbed until I had my free birth. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it's, I'd imagine oh, so that. And I, I feel like people are, you know, carrying around this trauma that they don't even really understand. And it's coming up in other ways. But that just adds more to this where we're like unable to process the trauma and just holding on to it. And we're all just walking around sick. And it's depressing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and again, this is where like we could all drown in that. Right. Or, or keep moving and keep moving and focus on where does our energy go? And, you know, obviously for, for me, I wake up, you know, with the question, what would the world look like if the vast majority of women were birthing in power? And I believe wholeheartedly that the patriarchy would crumble and women would rise and and whole industries that oppress us would would not have the power over us that that they do um the fitness industry the you know the makeup industry whatever yeah those would not Um, exist i think if women understood the amount of power that they had by birthing in this way none of that stuff would exist yeah or certainly not with the same um hold yeah that it that it has so it really it just, it's such a big deal and, and it's so, so complicated and there's so many layers to it. And it's so painful to be, you know, in this work day in and day out. And the only, the only way I can stay in it, you know, is to know that I'm compassing towards what's normal and what's right. And we are losing birth. We are forgetting birth. We, there are you know, countries like Russia, where there's multi-generational C-sections, you know, like there, I I supported a woman in LA right before I left who she's from Israel and, um, mom, grandma, and great grandma all had, and and her sisters, every, everybody had C-sections. And she contacted me and said, I literally do not know one woman in my community who has had a vaginal birth. And she had a fear of needles. And so it was, I actually loved that birth because she wasn't like even that gung ho about wanting a normal birth. She just was terrified of needles. And so she was like, C-sections and epidurals are out for me. I can't do it. It'll put me into absolute panic. And so I have to have a vaginal normal birth. (laughs) And so we were like, okay, we got this totally. Let's just stay home. And uh, anyway, so she, she fought her way through that birth. She kicked and screamed and cried. And I loved it. I loved that birth so much because it wasn't, um, it wasn't pretty. It was, (laughs) she fought, man, herself, you know, the whole way through. 
and just complained the entire time and <laughs> and I loved it. It was so sweet and she she had a fully unmedicated uh normal for the most part birth, declined everything at the hospital, had a great partner and um it was awesome. I was so proud of her and like talk about rewriting, you know, your family's destiny with with one birth. Yeah, that's amazing. And how did she feel afterwards? Oh my gosh, uh, just she was she was reborn. You know, this is what we see, right? This is the and and her whole it affected her whole community, you know, and she doesn't stop talking about her birth story. Um that's and that's amazing. what we see. And that's you what know, we that's need what... like when people do have those experiences and they can share them and you get to be exposed to birth going as it should. That's what changes things for people. Yeah, it's it's like the whole point of of the podcast that I have. Yeah. You know, it's like, let's have a space where women can talk and celebrate about their choice to birth and power. And, you know, because as we all, you know, know, we're, we're in such a culture of taking responsibility for each other's feelings. And, and, you know, if, if somebody says like nursing is, I love breastfeeding. Another person is like, you're shaming formula fed babies. And it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like no one is allowed because we're oppressed because we have, we, we are drenched in horizontal violence because, you know, nobody's allowed to rise right in, mm-hmm. in out of our oppression. And because everybody's so drenched in their own trauma it's, you know, and immaturity and that nobody's taking responsibility for themselves on a mass scale, you know, that, that then we see this, this really sad output of, of misinterpreting, you know, what it means for a woman to love her birth or to love breastfeeding or to love postpartum. And, um, and I just don't really engage with that. Like the whole point of free birth to me is what does it look like and feel like when you choose to step outside of, these um, harmful social constructs and say, I'm going to take responsibility for myself. And it doesn't start and end with prenatal care and a birth without a doctor. It's the whole, it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's a philosophy, you know, of taking responsibility for yourself. And what does that mean? You know, and that means that when you feel triggered, you sit with that and you learn about it and you're curious about it. You know, it's not about pointing the finger and blaming everybody else for your experience. And there's a lot of power when you start to uh, fully accept that you, you know, create your own reality. You decide you decide what energy you put into your thoughts and your stories and your narratives. And, um, and then you can free yourself. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful. Um, yeah. And that kind of brings me to, I wanted to ask you about how you personally like unlearned the fear around birth that we, I think we're kind of just all inherently made to have, um, because well, of not culture. necessarily, I, I, I didn't have to unlearn it. I didn't, I didn't grow up with a fear of birth. Um, oh, that's amazing. What you're saying. Yeah. I don't know anybody who hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> this is new. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom had a, had a birth center birth with me and my little brother. She had a hospital birth with her first with my sister and then had a, I mean, it was still totally disruptive given, you know, knowing what birth center births are like, but um Regardless, she, I grew up with the narrative from my mom that birth is awesome, um, breastfeeding is amazing, being a mom is amazing. You know, she always says her favorite time of her life was when the three of us were little. 
And so that was what I heard growing up. And, um, and then very quickly, you know, I, I mean, pretty much I was still a kid when I started attending births and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and actually I wanted to, to bring back something that you said about that you've, I don't remember exactly what you said, but that you've, you've been struggling with birth lately or some of the births you've seen. And I think it's always really, really important as birth workers and women to specify it's not birth that we're having a problem with. Right. It's ever. the abuse. It, yeah. It's the, it's the way in which birth and women are abused. And, and um, that's really, really important because, you know, like we see it with postpartum people now in our culture, if you say postpartum, it's assumed you're saying postpartum depression. That's true. Yeah. Which is absolutely incorrect and absolutely insane and absolutely tragic. So I'm very uh, intentional about saying postpartum and the postpartum period and, um, you know, trying to unwork that as much as possible because you see it a lot with, uh, even with therapists, you know, they'll say, yeah, she's postpartum. And I, you know, I always push that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Because everybody, everybody who has a baby is postpartum. Postpartum just means after the baby's here. Right, (laughs) right. Everybody's postpartum once there's a baby. Do you mean that she's experiencing postpartum depression? Because that's a whole other thing. And that is not inherent to the postpartum period, which also is another myth that we need to, you know, make sure we're talking about. That is not a normal, healthy, um, expected part of the postpartum period. That is a phenomenon that we are experiencing in a culture that traumatizes, abuses, and birth rapes women. You know, and then that has no support and, and, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah, and all the things. But, yeah, that I, I do also agree that's really important. And, yeah, that is something I need to be better about doing is it's not birth that is no, birth traumatizing me. It's Yeah, and I yeah. think it's empowering and it's wonderful, but it's, it's what we're seeing in that process in the hospital. And I guess, you know, your word of captivity, I did want to point that out and have you explained that? But I, I do think that that is such an important and powerful word to use because it's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's confronting for some people, but like it should be because ca- birthing in captivity is, um, well, okay. So let me back up. So obviously birthing in captivity, what does that make you think of? Like a zoo, um, you know, other animals birth in captivity that we, uh, capture and keep, you know, it behind bars and, or whatever in pens or whatever it looks like. And Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, but what's so uniquely interesting about humans birthing in captivity is that when we witness animals birthing in captivity, what the zookeepers and the, you know, veterinarians and all the people who might be a part of witnessing an animal birthing in captivity across the board, what you will see is everybody leaves the animal alone. Right. Right. So even April, the giraffe, who was in a pen and had, you know, obviously virtually millions of people watching, nobody was ever uh, checking her cervix or pulling the baby out or shoving Pitocin into her muscle or, um, you know, whatever. Everybody leaves the animals alone. And so you can see all across the world, elephants and tigers and zebras. And, you know, there's all sorts of um, uh, monkeys. There's all sorts of videos of animals in captivity in zoos you know totally not in the wild but the understood um, across humanity it's understood that you leave an animal alone so even when I was little I was just writing about this for our course that when I was little I remember my neighbor had puppies and um, that her dog was birthing puppies and 
she came and got me and the pup, the dog had um, snuck behind a bench in the mud room and the mom, uh, the human mom, the, my friend's mom wouldn't let us into the mud room. And she said, no, you just got to let the puppies come and, you know, we can watch from afar, but we can't touch any of the puppies and we just have to let them do their thing. And it was really uh, fun and um, intimate. And, you know, we all had to be really quiet and um, keep a certain distance and all of this stuff. And, and so, of course, I think about that all the time, because when I started attending births in human captivity, I remember that dog story a lot. And I'm like, wow. So when humans birth in captivity, all of that understanding of what it takes for a physiological birth, uh, which is the exact same hormonal sequence in a tiger as it is in a human, um, mm -hmm. that goes out the window. And now we are grading, assessing, disrupting, monitoring, um, to up the wazoo and then oh my gosh how surprising all of these births don't work quote unquote um, right so obviously it's a political issue it's a sexist issue it's a misogynist issue it, it all relates back to the hero male doctor who's going to control and play god and you know obstetrics is built on a history of violence abuse and rape i mean you know anyone can learn about that off the internet um so it's obviously much more complicated um, or. Yeah, but it is like, why, why don't we just honor the fact that we are animals and understanding that that's how people give birth. If you've ever been to a birth that is just, you know, people are just left alone to be, they want low lights. They want to be alone. They want to make these noises and, you know, be warm and loved and, you know, it's like, how did we stray from that? <laughs> well, I think it's actually really important to learn about that as a birth keeper so that you, you can, you know, teach this because the history of obstetrics is fascinating and yes. it's totally obviously in line and built on the patriarchy, believing that we are disposable, that we are property, that we are, um, uh, inferior, you know, that we're broken and that we can't be trusted. Um, you know, the whole campaign a hundred years ago of, of wiping out the granny midwives and, um, you know, the, the propaganda across the nation when birth got brought into hospitals about how much safer it is. And then obviously gloves weren't invented yet. So a ton of people died and then gloves did get invented, which was good. Um, but yeah. it's really fundamentally based on the lie that birth is an emergency, women are broken, and we need men. And right. obviously now there are doctors who aren't just men, but uh, it's all the same model. It's the same belief structure. So, you know, obstetrics is, yes, in a tiny, 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 tiny percent, a C-section is going to save a life. And that's awesome. And I, yeah. you know, and would, they exist for that reason. But like, it's not as needed as we think it is. <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't think they exist for that reason at all. I think oh, they don't. They yeah. should exist for that reason. Right. But right. that's not why um, C-sections are a thing. You know, that's not how they're practiced, as you obviously know. Totally. Um, and I don't think that's like the incentive behind the droves of people becoming OBGYNs, you know, to only C-section, uh, you know, one one mom every couple years, you know, right. mean, whatever the actual statistic could be if, if we did have normal birth as, as the, the average experience. 
So yeah, captivity, it's a, it's a significant one, you know, because anyone who isn't familiar with, let's just say the, the basic generic admission process into a hospital, um, you know, we have a mom, uh, you know, as a doula, we'll join her at home. She's doing great. She's starting to get, you know, it's starting to get intense and starting to moan and groan and move around. But, you know, unfortunately, because she has believed the lie that she has to leave her home um, where, you know, she, you know, whatever, feels like she's going to be safer, even though that's not statistically true. Mm -hmm. She agrees to leave her environment, which automatically changes it to a non-physiological birth. The second you leave your, your nest, right? Right. Your, Your microbiome, your everything, everything on every level. If you leave the home, everything changes. And so now we have a woman in labor who hopefully was probably down in her theta brain waves and her limbic, you know, brain, um, the primal brain. And she now has to go up into her neocortex, get out of her hypnosis, go into a car, go over bumps and red lights and, um, you know, a stressed out partner trying to drive while she's screaming in the back. And now we get to the hospital and she's either going to be forced into a wheelchair, um, and treated, you know, like a patient, um, like she's sick and, or mm-hmm. she'll have to decline the wheelchair. And then she gets into her tiny triage room, which she's monitored and told to put on a gown, which is what sick people wear. And now she's stripped of even more dignity and agency. Um, and now, she, you know, a resident comes in to do a final ultrasound for no reason at all, other than, you know, for them to learn and to blast a baby with harmful, you know, wave, uh, sound waves. And then she's, given an exam on her back, which is very painful. And now she's assessed and graded and she, you know, waits to hear if the nurse is going to allow her to be admitted or not. And let's say she is admitted. Now she gets into a new room and and the new nurse wants to get a new baseline. So she gets her next exam within usually 20, 30 minutes. And now there's a furrowed brow while she's looking at her contraction, you know, sheet over at the, uh, the machine and says, oh, your contractions are slowing down. We're going to need to start you on pit. And of course they're slowing down. Right. Duh. But having nobody in that situation understand even what physiological birth is or how to honor it, respect it, whatever. Um, of course they're slowing down. Of course she's going to need an epidural. Of course being strapped to a bed is inhumane. Um, and, and she's going to need to check out. Like, of course. This yeah. is how the entire system is set up. And they're also asking if you want an epidural that entire time, as soon as you walk in, before it's they disgusting. really even care. It's just, do, are you going to get an epidural? That's and it's, all, it, you know, it's a whole series of lies because even the, the IV, you know, that dilutes birthing hormones, you know, nobody talks about that. Nobody talks right. about how the IV fluids, you know, can swell your perineum and make you more likely to tear. And, you know, all of this stuff that is just to sabotage a birth. And so back to the captivity notion, I think it's incredibly significant to call it what it is. Um, And if you want to birth in captivity, if that's the experience you're after, okay, great. That's totally fine. I a hundred percent support a woman to make literally any choice she wants to make without any, um, uh, what's the right word? Caveat, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever she wants to do, and it is birthing in captivity, but it, you won't even get the respect that a fucking giraffe gets. Right. Yeah. And I just want people to understand that, like to understand that these experiences, like, yes, they're common, but they, it's not normal. It's not normal to have 
that going on when you're giving birth and it's not necessary. And like what you're talking about, I, I think this is something that is always funny to me that people are surprised by, but when that you go into your limbic brain, the neocortex, and that your body is producing these hormones to deal with what's going on so that people are in that like daisy stoned state. Um, I keep finding people are so shocked when I'm telling them about that. And like, that's how you deal with birth. That's how your body copes. And you don't need to step out of that. But once you do, it's just not going to work the same. Well, I mean, we can't be shocked because why on earth would they know anything about the hormonal matrix of a physiological mammalian birth? Like, right, because we're not why taught it. they know this? You know, like you, you should have um, Yolanda, my partner, on to literally have a whole episode on the hormonal matrix of birth. Uh, I should do that too, actually. Actually, I would love to. <laughs> we should both do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, she talks just because she talks about it so beautifully and, and has a, I mean, I understand it too, but she has a very great way of teaching it. Um, and we have to start somewhere, you know, women don't understand our hormonal matrix. And so when we do, then we can start to understand why we need to protect it. And then we can understand when we reflect on our births, you know, when I was in adrenaline and why my contractions slowed down or, um, you know, you can start to like piece it together, but you have to understand the basics and the basics are not understanding early labor, active labor transition and, you know, in placenta, like that's not what we're talking about. It's way, way more basic than that, which is like, where's my cervix? (laughs) Right. And, and what hormones do I need to feel safe so that the entire process will even work, you know, and, and why is there so many platane, uh, retained placentas and hemorrhaging in the hospital? And we almost never see that at home. You know, like these are things that we can all trace back to disruption of hormones or support of an optimal blueprint. Um, and, and if we don't respect that, it's, it's literally dangerous, you know, and that's part of what we talk about so much in free birth. Like free birth doesn't just mean you're replacing your husband with a doctor. You know, that's that's not free birth. Free birth doesn't mean your husband gives you 500 exams and, you know, is assessing you and, you know, pulling the baby out and blah, blah, blah. No. Mm-hmm. Free birth means undisturbed birth. Free birth means that you are in charge as the birthing woman and that you are... Um, you know, only engaging with support that you truly desire and that feels helpful to you and that your whole team, should there be one, is supporting and holding respect for um, the optimal, you know, hormonal matrix that is going to occur if, if you are in a loving, safe environment. Right. And when you see that shit go down, it is like God actualized. it is it's it's unreal it's actual magic like it is the coolest thing ever and I've only seen it once and I've been to so many births and that's insane that that's only been one time but I like I keep doing it because I want to see that again it's it's just incredible well, you and will never, ever, 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 ever see it in captivity. Right. So, absolutely. You know, back to your doula practice, like if you want to see it again, you can't, you don't go to McDonald's and ask for an organic local salad. Right. Exactly. So if you want to <laughs> see it, you have to say, I, I'm, I'm looking for clients who, you know, have autonomous births, who, who actually want to experience real birth. And this is where the conversation I think gets really important because fundamentally it's a difference of philosophy, you know, to say, um, 
to say I feel safer with a midwife just in case like that whole thing that we hear every day Mm -hmm. okay great that's fine of course do that if that's what's right for you and there's also a group of women who really are willing to look at that and unpack that and learn and sit with what it means Um, because when we go a little further what is this just in case you know and and obviously in essence really at its you know, foundation, we're talking about death and we're right. talking about that someone can save my baby and it, and I don't know how to do that. That's scary. You know, on some core level, I don't trust what's about to happen. I don't trust that, um, my baby and I will emerge, um, triumphantly and safely and healthy. And, you know, if, if there's a just in case, so I'm willing to birth in the hospital because there's an OR and a NICU there, and then be surprised that an OR and a NICU gets utilized in my birth. Come on. Right. You know, if the quote unquote tools are there, they're going to get used. That's why I don't even suggest free birthers have a bulb syringe. Don't even have it because if it's there, you're going to use it, you know, and, right. and I'm not a fan of abusing babies with shoving stuff up their nose right when they're born. But, um, you know, really, again, it just goes back to people don't even know what birth is. People don't even know what, what mammalian, physiological birth is but when you do or when you are committed to it um that also therefore means on a spiritual level you have to sit with death and you have to sit with the possibility of it which i would obviously argue every woman who's having a baby should be sitting with it because babies die and i i'm not you know i i don't say that lightly it's incredibly sad Mm -hmm. and it happens and it happens no matter where birth right. happens. Right. And I've definitely have gone through this where thinking about, you know, being a birth attendant and being really afraid of that because I don't know how I would handle it emotionally. But I think it's so important to sit with that and think through that and really unpack what that means and what your own relationship to it is because it is it is life that's that's what's happening here and well no one escapes it right right and we're not you know and it's the whole like god complex so you know you get to believe you get to play along with this illusion that doctors are god and that that you know obviously our culture says if a baby dies in the hospital then we did everything we could but if a baby dies at home you irresponsible shitty mother Exactly. Right. But I don't, I just don't believe that, you know, I, I would much prefer that if my baby, you know, God forbid was to pass that it happened in the safety and love of my home where I could be surrounded by my family and that no one would interfere with that very, very painful and sad and, and powerful experience. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that like if there was an emergency that could be handled with obstetrics, of course I would seek help. I'm not ride or die. And some women are, and that's fine. I have no issue with that either, but you know, there are certainly undeniably technologies in the hospital that um, can save a baby like a 25 week old, you know, something like that. Right. A, A baby born at home with no support at 25 weeks is extremely unlikely, almost guaranteed not going to survive. But in the hospital, they actually have decent odds. So they do. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no part of me that's, you know, trying to say that there's no time or place. 
Um, but I guess the larger thing is that the time and place is if the woman wants. Right. Right. Just like with abortion, just like with where she births, just like with everything to do, just like with sex, every single thing to do with her body, it's when and if and how she wants. Mm-hmm. Including her baby. Right. Because she is her baby. We are our babies. Right. And that's what I think people forget about a lot. People, people actually just simply don't agree with that. Right. That's, yeah, actually, so, that's true. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's, again, we can, it's yeah. like what I was saying, it's a difference of philosophy. So I feel that we are our babies and I feel that a woman uh, should, I, I feel that it is a woman's birthright to get to decide <laughs> or have full agency over her baby, her pregnancy, her body, etc. You know, but not everybody agrees with that, obviously. Um, right. And, and same with, you know, with, yeah, I mean, really all, all choices around birth and, and reproductive rights. And it kind of goes back to our original point of like, I stand with women and, and, and I trust women. I've never met a woman ever who I thought there was anyone else that cared more about the health and wellness of her baby than that woman. Mm-hmm. Even women I've worked with on drugs or that smoked. I still don't think like a doctor cares more or is more concerned. I really, in my experience, have always seen women care the most about their babies. Yeah. And I would argue that the doctors are far less concerned. Of course. <laughs> in those cases, you know, you know how it is. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And the like concerned, we're just here to take care of your baby, you know, and this, and again, this goes back to, I think kind of the largest point of the conversation, which is that there are different philosophies of life and the obstetrical in, you know, in choosing to birth in captivity, I think really says I'm scared. I don't trust birth. I'm scared. And I believe that I have the best chance of survival essentially. And I don't think these are conscious thoughts. Yeah. I think underneath, and I've worked with every type of woman under the sun. And I think underneath all of this, it's a fear of really life and death. And so then that's, that's understandable. That's how we've been conditioned, even though statistics and science don't match that it's okay. I understand it is our cultural conditioning of a couple generations that has bred us to think that, okay, so we have that over on one hand. And on the other hand, just as equally understandable, there are women who are saying, I don't think I have the highest chance of survival there. I don't feel the safest there. And I actually feel the safest on my own, on my own terms, with nobody around me that doesn't intimately love me um, and trust me. And this is where I feel safest. And we actually do have science and statistics and all, all of that on, on that side, but that's okay. It doesn't, doesn't actually always need to come down to that. Um, you know, I talk to black women regularly who are free birthing, who are like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to the hospital. I am painfully aware of my, you know, um, uncomfortably, unacceptably, you know, higher chance of actually dying mm-hmm. because of the systemic racism in healthcare. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, uh, women of color are four times more likely to die and their babies than a white counterpart in the hospital system. And this has nothing to do with a black woman's ability to give birth. Absolutely not. This has everything to do with their lack of options, the way they're treated, um, 
you know, the, the scrutiny, the um, being ignored, not believing um, a black woman's pain. I mean, there's just so much to this that all absolutely is 100% about our racist system. Yeah, and that also has nothing to do with um, socioeconomic level as well because as we know like with the serena williams if anybody has read that article that she published about her experience with birth and being totally ignored with her pain well and and the thing is yeah just to go down that road for a second you know when a when a let's take a black woman who is very wealthy and she's on a table she's sitting on the bed in the hospital room in a gown the staff that comes in doesn't know the staff only sees her skin color right in reverse. And so where we like to your point that, which, and and that really took me a minute to wrap my head around that. It didn't matter their socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. It it really, you know, I really had to research that and watch a lot of Ted talks and listen to a lot of women teach this to me because it did take me back for a second. I was like, wait, 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 you're really saying that a rich black woman is still more likely to literally die than a poor, you know, even homeless white woman. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, I mean, yeah, it's because skin color is visible and the in, internalized, deeply racist, um, you know, and when we say healthcare, what are we really talking about? We're talking about people. <laughs> We're talking right. about actual people who look into yeah. the room and see um, a color that they already have been conditioned to um, essentially act against and, and there we are, you know, and, and then we have these outcomes that are so painful and so unacceptable. And so, yeah, I have, I have women contact me saying, um, you know, I'm free birthing because I am a woman of color and therefore it's a given that I'm safer at home and they're right. They're right. Yeah. And I've, I've heard you talk about how you have worked with women, like whether virtually or not, um, who are doing free birth, not necessarily because it's their first choice, but because of the situation. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is kind of a perfect example. Like it might not be your first choice, but it is just inherently safer. I think a lot of, I think a lot of women, not all, but I do think a lot of women that I talk with and know and, and support if they had what doesn't exist, which is a loving, educated, supportive, um, midwife-esque person who wasn't beholden to harmful rules and regulations that aren't based in evidence and don't serve women, you know, but, but we're really there, you know, we have this like utopian idea of what a midwife used to be. I don't actually see a lot of evidence of that ever existing, but I think it's a nice idea Mm -hmm. of this like midwife in the corner knitting who is just there to like nod her head and, um, give you a shoulder and give you the talk when you need it. And, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, those, I think a lot of people, myself included, if that had been available to have an elder who really knows and trusts birth and me uh, or said woman, um, yes, I think that a lot of women would want that, especially for a first birth. Yes. Yeah. First births, easily can be three days long and it's very easy for that to freak you out in a first birth. Whereas, you know, consecutive births tend, tend to go quicker, not always, but they do tend to, it's most likely that they're going to go quicker. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't exist. And as you know, all over our country and our world, there's so many spaces where women live, where 
breach a C-section or V-backs off the table or uh, midwifery is illegal or midwifery is $5,000 and they're super handcuffed by rules and regulations. So there's no option for right. the woman who just wants to have a normal birth. And then on top of that, we could talk about high risk, you know, and that the system is basically it's attention. What we see is that everyone's high risk. There's a right. way, there's a way to find a high risk situation in everybody too fat, too young, too old, too skinny, too anemic, too many babies, um, anything, right. It's all high risk. Mm -hmm. And so actually the vast majority of women that I talk to that free birth were already labeled high risk in the system. And then they go on to have perfectly normal, healthy births. Right. Because of course they do. (laughs) Okay. Of course they do. I mean, right. There's so many things that just aren't, you know, and really, I think the larger thing to say is that um, nobody else defines high risk for us if we want to um, decide that, you know, so if you're listening and you're fat and let's say you've been called high risk in the system um, because you're 250 pounds, you can just decide you are not high risk. You can just decide that you're not high risk. Maybe you've had seven babies and so you're now labeled high risk. Maybe you've had five C-sections. You can just decide that you're not high risk and you can still do whatever the fuck feels right for you. And actually, it is your prerogative to do what feels right for you. And if that is to go it alone or, um, you know, be at home, you know, or, or whatever, whatever that looks like for you, it's your baby and it's your life. Like you decide what your labels are. Right. Yeah. Is there much conversation in the free birth community about? like those lines of what you would consider yourself as high risk or be concerned to go to the hospital? Um, I think it's really about that. It's, it's up to every woman. Okay. So one person's high risk is another not right. Like we just had a woman free birth her twins and someone else would say that that's high risk. So you know, I mean, there's obviously very real situations like preeclampsia is no joke, li- like that literally can kill you. Um, there, there are complications that are no joke that you don't fuck around with, like cord prolapse or placental abruption. Like those aren't things that you wait around and try to see, you know, right. there, are, there are absolutely very, very, very rare, but very dangerous um, things that you absolutely should get, you know, help with absolutely um though but those are those are very rare so shy of a couple of small things or not not that they are small but just that there's a f- only a few um it's really about your own comfort which right. is like all reproductive health stuff right it's it's there's it's different for everybody so, so one woman would feel comfortable staying home and birthing her baby at 34 weeks and another woman wouldn't I would have, if I had gone into labor at 34, 35, I would have had the baby at home and assessed the baby, done kangaroo care and see how they were nursing. And if they had trouble with nursing, then I would have um, sought help, you know, whereas another person might say I'm free birthing as long as I'm pregnant after 37 weeks. Yeah. So the whole like philosophy is you do you, right. <laughs> you know, it's figure right. out what feels right to you and figure out what level of education you need, figure out, you know, what your team is, figure out what your boundaries are and then enact those. And I think one of the things I wanted to point out about 
what you're doing now is that you're kind of off, you're offering a course, right, to teach people about free birth. Yeah, and I I should say that a big part of the course is so it's called the Complete Guide to Free Birth, and some people might say, well, why do I need a course? Isn't the whole point of your message that it's, (laughs) you know, free and that it's spontaneous and that it just occurs. And yes, absolutely. Um, I do not think anybody needs this course in order to free birth by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, All of our information, you know, it's not like we own it. It could be found in the library and in other books and, and other teachers and, and all of that. And what this course is, is it's a 10 module, crazy in-depth collection of our experience, observations, Um, you know, both of us have 15 years, you know, she has more, Yolanda has more, more years on me than I, and she's had seven spontaneous, normal home free births. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. And so basically what the course is, it's, it's teaching about what normal physiological birth is and walks you through all of that, yes, but it also is a huge education on the system and applying a critical eye to the system and understanding the system that we are stepping away from. So it's kind of like walks you through, this is what obstetrical prenatal care would be like, this is its purpose, this is what our take on it, this is the evidence, this is alternatives. Um, so it's not just like stay at home, a baby comes out, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which in some respect could be an easy course on free birth. Um, but it, it's, it's larger than that. I mean, it's a whole critical, you know, a whole critical eye on the system and why protecting normal birth is so significant. And then um, obviously getting into all of that. And we also cover what wild mothering can look like. And um, it's just so much because so many women are like, okay, I'm not going back. I'm traumatized from this birth. I'm not going back. I also can't hire a midwife for whatever reason. So what do I need to know? And so in our opinion, this is, this is all the stuff that if you knew this stuff, you are going to be able to compass towards a pretty darn ecstatic birth, because there are a lot of reasons that people transfer that could be um, worked with, you know, Mm -hmm. like, People still don't, you know, even people who are free birthing, maybe they don't know um, the normalcy of a placenta taking a couple hours or how to encourage it to come out at home Um, or, you know, really getting into transition that that's a normal time to be like, something's wrong, we should go or um, whatever, you know, all of these things that, so really, I guess I would also pitch it as like an alternative, very radical um, take on childbirth education. Right. Which is, I think, I mean, I think it's a really important thing to offer because not every woman is coming at this with like all of these things unpacked and exactly, you know, really believing in herself yet. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, we talk about how to do your own prenatal care and um, yeah, I mean, it's so much stuff. It really is everything we could possibly think of that someone could or should know to really have the confidence to take the reins and, and sit in, um, their decision, you know, to not do it, to not go to the the hospital or to hire somebody, or maybe they want to birth alone because their partner's unsupportive, or maybe, um, they don't know how to navigate a nervous partner, or, um, maybe they just aren't sure what to do with the placenta and the cord and, um, what immediate postpartum should look like, you know? So we just, mm-hmm. we really have everything in there. That's awesome. And how could people access that? Our website's freebirthsociety.com. So you can 
see everything we do there. We have the podcast and the blog and um, what else? We have the course and then we offer coaching sessions for people who want more one-on-one support. So yeah, Free Birth Society um, and then the course. There's like a tab for to get to the course. Okay, awesome. Yeah, um, I did just want to ask a little bit about um, your own experience, if that's okay, or if it's kind of cutting close to time. I'm okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I've been meaning to ask you about your partner. Um, I'm, you know, assuming, I think rightfully assuming that he's very supportive of this, Um I did listen to you guys talking together on an episode. So I'm, I know that he is, but I'm curious what, like, if you had to really educate him or if he was coming from a place of just inherently trusting this process too. Yeah. I think that's a really great question because I think a lot of women deal with this. Um, I would have only ever married somebody who was a feminist, who, trusted me to make my own decisions about my life and my body um Mm -hmm. and we were already together when I aligned with this idea to free birth which happened a year before we conceived our baby so um I think as a birth worker sometimes it can be easier with the partner because he had seen me come home time after time crying telling him the stories of the abuse that I saw and um you know so he had a real like intimate relationship with how fucked the system is and how just painful it was to witness so much of that um but so yeah no I did not need to educate him I never made that my business um and I think there's actually something to be said for when somebody really trusts you about an experience you're going to go through, I don't really know why they would even need a lot of education, you know, and actually it's a little bit of a red flag for me when partners are wanting to learn everything and be like insanely involved um, because it's not his experience. He's only there to witness should she choose him, you know, let's say it's a him, um, you know, to be there. And I think there's, I think there's like another level above that of support and trust and, and respect where a partner can just say, I'm here to serve you. This is yours. And let me know how you want me to be. Right. And that's wonderful that you had that. And I know that's not the experience for a lot of people. Um, How do you help them with that? With women who have partners who don't get it. Yeah. Who don't get it. Um, gosh, I mean, it start needs to start with an open mind. Like I can't do shit with somebody who's not, you know, who's, who's closed minded. Mm -hmm. So if, if I think that's the first step, like if the partner is open, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to, um, you know, be worried because this is something that goes against everything we've been conditioned to think is safe. So, you know, I think it's really important to normalize that for a partner. Like, yes, it's okay. Absolutely. You, it makes sense that you would be nervous about this and we're going to do it anyway. You know, and I think actually more than advice to the partner, I would say to the woman who's struggling with a partner who, whatever, doesn't know how to support it. This is about you. You know, this is about a woman saying, this is happening. This Mm -hmm. is how I'm doing this. And so I'm so down to help you find, you know, pathways to getting comfortable with this. But if you're not in a space of 
loving support and groundedness when I go into labor, like, I'm so sorry, but you can't be here. And I really want you here, but this is your responsibility um, to figure out how to get cool with this. And if you can't, that's also okay. You just, yeah, I'm not going to invite you to my birth, you know, and that's a really radical thing to say, but it's also really, really powerful when a woman releases the lie that she's responsible for her partner's comfort mm-hmm. and yeah. that she's responsible for his feelings and that she can just say, this is happening. I would love for you to support me. If you're unable to do that, that's okay too, you know, and really mean that and stand in that confidence. Um, I have seen, I've seen marriages transform actually. I mean, I've seen women find power in releasing, you know, trying to take responsibility for everybody else, which yes, we're socialized to do that. But when we release that, there's so much freedom there. Um, Obviously I think listening to my podcast is super helpful because it's 60 stories of women telling their free birth stories. And there are some books to read to normalize birth for partners. Um, But I think the larger conversation is, you know, take responsibility for yourself you know, you don't, your wife can't do your work for you. If you're nervous about it, learn. Mm-hmm. There's tons of resources. Take our course. You know, there's tons of ways to learn about this stuff. It's not a secret. It's all out there. Um, and be responsible for your own feelings. And even if you're nervous in the birth, that's okay, but you need to act like you're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause that energy is so yeah. impactful and there's no space for that. No space for nervous energy and scared energy. It's just you know, problematic to the yeah. birth process. And, and, and it, you know, I really, I love the idea of it being that a woman invites you to the birth. I don't think yes. it should be a given that the partner just gets to be there. I don't think that because you planted seed, you know, yeah. woman, <laughs> you automatically get entrenched to her birth experience. You know, I think that, I think a woman gets to invite. And when, a when you see it through that lens, there's so much power and beauty and, um, gosh, I just, it, it's so powerful to be like, okay, I get to invite who I want to my birth. Okay. We, you know, we have in our course, like all these meditations to do of, you know, walking you through labor and who do you see there and who's handing you the washcloth and who's, um, you know, and even straight up, like who's wiping your butt when poop's coming out at the end, you know, right. is it, is it a nurse you've never met before? How does that feel? Is it your mother-in-law who just assumes she can be at the birth, but that you're totally not comfortable with? How does that feel? You know, like play it out and take it seriously because it's only the biggest event of your life. It's only going to affect everything to come. If your baby is content or not if your baby's processing trauma and drugs or not you know it just affects everything it's not a singular isolated event right yeah and I think um it's important to and you know understanding that you don't want some people there like I've had people saying about you know the mother-in-law that they don't Mm -hmm. really like who's demanding to be there and how am I and basically I've been hired to help them keep that person out of the room. But then these women are just like apologizing for owning the fact that they don't want that person there. And that's so sad. It is. Um, I just think that that's something I want people to understand is that this is the the point where you can invite people to come and you don't have to have anyone there if you don't want to. Well, and this goes back to us as doulas that like, this is their journey. This is their 
you know, one of the things my mentor told me when I was really young is she said, never work harder than the mom. Right. You know, we hear that in the birth world, but, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing to think about that. It's really about like, are we walking with women that are aligned with, um, you know, with us and with where we're going and, and it would be a huge, and I've totally been there. I've totally had moms like that. Um, and I wouldn't support a mom like that anymore. I'm not a good fit for a mom who isn't actively looking to, uh, be powerful, you know, even if she doesn't have the roadmap yet, that's okay. You know, absolutely. But there are, you know, and that's why I love free birth so much because it's all types of women, you know, it's, it's women in bad marriages. It's women, um, I mean, everything it's poor women, you know, I I've worked with women who live in mobile homes, you know, or whatever, everything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter, um, what your life looks like on the outside. If you're, if you're calling in your power and you're connecting to it and you're making your autonomous decisions, it's going to ripple out. It's going to affect your whole thing. And birth is somewhere where we know it's going to happen and you get to decide the environment you put yourself in. You know, and I've, I've had women in abusive relationships who don't tell their husband they're in labor and they go rent a hotel room or they go hide in the bathroom or they go to a friend's house so that they can birth alone. And the power from that, you know, then ripples out to having the power to leave the relationship. Right. You know, it just, it affects everything. I've been with women who have free birth to, um, you know, birthing in power cured their um, eating disorders. And, and their body dysmorphia, you know, within, within one experience completely changed how they view their body and their relationship to it. I can totally see that. That's what I, I really imagine that for birth. I think it's a powerful medicine. For better or worse. Yeah. Which yeah. Why we take it so seriously. Right. And why right. we're trying to work so hard to talk about this and, um, you know, free birth is, is so interesting to me because it's fucking nuts that women wanting to just stay home and have a normal birth on their own terms is considered the most radical, irresponsible, like horrible thing to do. (laughs) You know, like literally babies come, they don't want to be bothered with all your bullshit. They just want to stay home. And that (laughs) is painted as this crazy thing. It really shows you, you know, how far away from, um, from center we've come. Absolutely. It's yeah. I mean, really choosing to free birth or to, you know, have a physiological birth is the opposite of all of those constructs. And, you know, back to your question, I I would say that the way your partner responds to your choice to free birth is a real or home birth is a real litmus test for the whole relationship. Definitely. Because if, if somebody thinks that they stake any claim to how a baby emerges from your vagina, um, that is a real red flag. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think that's, you know, hearing the, our baby thing and like, this is our birth, but it's not, it's not our birth. It's the woman's birth and it's her experience. That's fair. Definitely. Definitely. But it's not our birth. It's not our pregnancy. We are not pregnant. Right. We are not 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 pregnant. pregnant. (laughs) Um, You know, and and it's a thing that we unconsciously do to engage the partner 
and to make them feel included. And I had to catch myself from not doing that shit because I totally said we're pregnant a couple times. And I was like, what am I doing? He's not pregnant. Like, this is mine. This is mine. And it's okay for it to be mine. And that doesn't make him any less involved. It doesn't make him any less engaged. Like, this is mine. And that's okay. And that's actually really important for it to be mine. Yeah. And we need to stop apologizing for that, I think. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I feel like I've kind of gotten through most of this. If, is there anything else that you'd really want to touch upon? No. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, this is a lot of stuff. It's probably, yeah, it's a lot for for, some people. I think (laughs) a lot of new stuff, um, a lot to digest. And yeah, I mean, if anybody, if this is speaking to anybody's heart, you can always email me at freebirthsociety at gmail or find us on we have a really awesome private group called free birth society group on facebook and um it's five thousand women who are all learning about free birth or they're doing it or are sharing their stories and um my podcast is all women sharing their stories of birthing and power and um yeah it's, it's it's powerful shit yeah and i think i mean just starting by listening to your podcast for anybody even if people aren't interested in birth i feel like it's just such a a thing to feel powerful about yourself <laughs> as a woman and just right. to listen to this and to, you know, to be exposed to the immense power that we have is incredible. And thank you so much for doing all the work you do. Oh yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really lovely to talk to you and thank you so much. You too. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye. everyone. I just wanted to say a quick little note before we go. Thank you for hanging out for this episode with Emily Saldea. I hope it got your brain churning. Be sure to check out the Free Birth Society podcast and join Emily's network at thefreebirthsociety.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at wildwombdoula or email me at wildwombdoulaservices at gmail.com. See you next week.